This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the Wharton School in San Francisco, this is Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here are Doug Collum and Irene Yen. Welcome to Bay Area Ventures on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are broadcasting live from the campus of Wharton San Francisco here in downtown San Francisco, right up the way from Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Irina Yen, and I'm here with my co-host, Doug Collum. We're joined now in the studio by our first guest, Alexi Robichaud. He is the co-founder and the CEO of BetterUp, and companies like LinkedIn, Genentech, Logitech, um, Salesforce are using their mobile platform to provide coaching and leadership training to employees across all levels of the organization. So, Alexi, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm honored to be here. We're really excited to um, learn more about your business and learn more about you. So to that end, our listeners love to hear about um, an entrepreneur's story and his journey. So we were wondering if you would share with us your journey um, as an entrepreneur and what led you to ultimately found BetterUp. Sure. I, I like to I like to commonly say that I feel like I'm, I'm super fortunate in that it took me 27 years, but I finally have been able to do during my day as my day job what's really always been my great passion in life. And so, um, you know, I think the path to better up for me actually starts pretty early. When I was mm-hmm. in high school, I had the opportunity um, with a couple friends to help start an after school leadership organization mm-hmm. where we did peer to peer life skill coaching. Mm-hmm. And that really, in high school? Yeah, we That's were amazing. 16, 17. My buddy John had the, had the idea and he pulled a few of us in. And, uh, you know, it was just, we, we were all student leaders and just dissatisfied with the abstractness of the leadership seminars and trainings we would go to. And we're like, no one's teaching us, you know, how to dress to impress or what am I supposed to yeah. do when I like meet an adult? I don't even know how to have small talk. Right. right. And so, uh, John, to his credit, had this insight that like, Hey, we should be doing something outside of the school, using the city as a classroom and pull together leaders from all these high schools and help, help each other figure this out. And so mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley speak, we would say that we had our first event um, and we discovered product market fit. We had invited some <laughs> right, friends. Exactly. Um, we didn't <laughs> have any of these terms. Yeah, we had 125 students, kids show up to our first event. That's right? amazing. And so we, so where, where, yeah. What was the geography for this? This was in Anaheim. Okay. Right. Yeah, so this was in Anaheim. And uh, that really ignited in me this passion for building others. Before that, as a kid, I was always the guy selling lemonade. I had taught myself web programming. So mm-hmm. my little brother and I had our web business. Mm-hmm. We'd make websites for my dad's friends and things like that. Um, And I was doing the website actually for the organization at the time. And so from there, my life kind of went in these two tracks where up until today, I continue to volunteer and sit on the board of the organization called Youth Leadership America. Mm -hmm. And in fact, my co-founder Eddie and I went to USC together, but reconnected years later around him starting to volunteer with the nonprofit. But I somehow told myself like I needed a career. Mm -hmm. And so I did this thing developing people after work and through my career ended up in Silicon Valley as a product manager and leading design teams. Um, and but that was kind of, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was in. a departure. It was a break from the mold. You may have been focused on leadership and st- starting to 
engender the qualities that leaders have to demonstrate. But when you're a product manager, a director of product management at a big tech company like VMware, right? It's kind of a tangent, right? It wasn't your true. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, and that's why it was like you had to pay bills. Yeah, I had to pay bills, (laughs) and it's so strange. It just never occurred to me that it could be my day job, right? It didn't even like enter into me. It was like that's not serious enough. I need Mm. to go be a successful business executive doing this thing, right? Mm. And uh, what I realized through my experience of helping to guide some of the integration, sticking on for a year and a half, Mm. starting a startup, and then realizing it wasn't a great fit for me, is I was completely burnt out and. And I, how, how long were you at VMware? I was at VMware about a year and a half okay. after the yeah. acquisition. Yeah, yeah, so about a year and a half. Awesome experience. I mean, I was uh, 25 or 26, yeah. right? And yeah. I had people oh, pretty soon, time, yeah. yeah, twice my age reporting to me. I, I, I get to meet with some of the CIOs of you know Fortune 100 companies. And um, I, was, I was always the youngest person in the room because we were the social layer in their product stack and so oh, every it. other head of yeah. product was you know middle aged and here i generation yeah, yeah i walked exactly. in the room exactly so it was it was super humbling it was incredibly uh, enlightening in terms of understanding how business works I, I had quite a few occasions where i get to sit in meetings sales meetings with the ceo of the company and just right. to see how they sold and how they conversed with some of the leading cios in the world was breathtaking um but it was a lot personally mm-hmm. and so i actually decided hey i needed to go really look out for myself in yeah. terms of, yeah. you know, hit the I pause button. Hit the yeah. pause button. As I say, I had attained hypertension. Um, and so I, <laughs> you know, as someone who doesn't drink or smoke and exercises moderately, I, just, I was like, this is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I actually kicked off another, I, I was like, let's leave. I uh, decided I should start another company immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. Um, and realized that that wasn't quite the right time and fit for me as well. And so then I had a lot of free time. Right. And Did so you let, know that? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Did you I mean, know that right away? Like, so you left VMware, you were burnt out and you said, I'm burnt out and I'm going to start another company. It Whoop. was kind of yeah. like a, yeah, it was not that crystalline. It mm. was more like, okay, I'm getting burnt out. I should probably leave here. Got it. Um, and I probably should have had full stop and just pause there, mm-hmm. take some time off. And maybe it's uh, my type A personality. I was like, well, I'm going to have a lot of free time if I leave. So I might as well go do something, right? Exactly. Um, and so... I was fortunate enough to end up finding myself with a lot of free time. And what I did is I went back and started volunteering with the kids in a really meaningful way. And I kept coming back to this idea of they have me to help them through their life transitions, which as a 17 year old could be, you know, applying for college, your first job interview, your first breakup. But I was there for them. Um, And I kept coming back to this, this realization that I have no one helping me through this transition. And uh, I started looking for someone to help. And so I, I started engaging with therapists and life coaches and executive coaches. And um, anyways, I can go in for hours, but essentially started to experience the world that Better Up Now is in and was right. really in some ways dissatisfied with the offerings and was eventually found a coach who was super powerful and transformational in my own life. Right. And then was like, okay, I think there's a way to use software to really make this more scalable, more effective, right. more affordable and give this to everyone, not just former executives or C-level leaders at top corporations. It's so interesting because it totally, as you were saying earlier, Alexi, this maps right back to oh, your, yeah. the sum, you know, what your, your passion was from yep. a very young age and saying, how can I give back and support? That's like right. I've gotten the support and I'm paying that forward if you were supporting the next generation, but I still need it. And the yep. other generations are broadly speaking still need it. There's That's something right. lacking. So just for clarification, yeah. your, your first job in Silicon Valley was at VMware? My first job was at SocialCast which VMware acquired. So I went oh, in at okay. SocialCast, which, you know, still, 
That so, was a pr- so after private college, company. Yes, it was a startup. Okay. Um, it was a true ventures backed startup. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had I had studied political philosophy as all great business leaders do. Um, it's the real, you know, the real warm up. Um, so yeah, I, it's, but the reason I did is because I was fascinated with people and how they organize. And that had come from my involvement with the mm-hmm. nonprofit. And so then I went to the Walt Disney Company. Great experience learning how an amazing business runs. Um, but I had a little like, you know, it was so big, you couldn't impact that much change. And I was like, I want to get on the front lines and like, you know, move something here. And so I found out about SocialCast and I just fell in love with this, ties back to my love of web programming, but also has this component of, it was an internal social network for enterprises and helping people organize and collaborate in emerging ways. So I went there, became a product manager. Um, I uh, got really lucky. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, not knowing any better, picked a winner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, was there, helped build some of the new products. Then we got acquired by VMware. Mm-hmm. And then the gentleman who um, was VP of product prior to the acquisition transitioned out. And then I transitioned over to helping to lead and take over product and design. That's, that's a, that's a, I mean, I'm sure folks who are listening here are like, wow, that's an amazing pathway. And like underlying that again is this theme of passion for supporting others, which leads us to better up and we'll get back to it in detail but in a in a nutshell what does better up do yeah i think that the the most fun way to think about better up is um taking this highly powerful personalized experience of having an executive coach which mm-hmm. everyone from bill gates to cheryl Absolutely. sandberg to eric schmidt will talk about how transformative it can be um, but typically it's limited to executives and companies who can afford really right. really expensive rates and we through a combination of human experts and software provide a way to give that into the pocket of every professional who wants it so just to pause for a moment yeah. i mean there may be people listening I mean, here we're, we're seated here at Wharton Business School, sure. and executive coaches are part of the vernacular yeah, here. Yeah. What, what does an executive coach do? Great by, question. By any conventional yeah. definition. Great question. Yeah, I think the you know the 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 most traditional dichotomy or separation would be between executive coaching and life coaching. And so typically executive coaches are working on things like leadership, management, career trajectory, difficult conversations, executive uh, presence, and these these, uh, historically CEO-esque attributes, what's traditionally thought to make a good senior leader in an organization. Mm -hmm. And then life coaching is often focused on things related to work-life balance, values, planning your life in accordance with your values. And what we're actually seeing is increasingly executive coaching is taking a lot of those themes and incorporating it. So most executive coaches today, I would say the really good ones, they just view you as a whole person and they work across both life and work. So so again, to dial that down one other layer. So we'll pick on you, Alexi. If you're the CEO and co-founder of a startup company and and you hypothetically bring an executive coach in, what, what do they talk about? I mean, sure. apart from, yeah, yeah. you know, geez, you're, you, you know, you should brush your teeth in the morning yeah. and you should, you should put on clean clothes and stuff yep. like that. Would you be surprised how many CEOs of tech companies need Don't. help with? Yeah. Right. It's, right. A, it's, a, <laughs> it's an, a growing, growing problem. So getting yeah. beyond personal hygiene, do right. they talk about, it's a candid discussion where you're talking yeah. about strategy. Yeah. You're talking about, yeah. I mean, yeah, let me give you some examples. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't know if anyone watches Billions. If you do, um, Wendy would be a good example of an executive coach, right? She's the main character's confidant and coach. I got an email the other day from an investor about another startup. And because we're in coaching, a lot of people, you know, bounce off us to get recommendations for good coaches. So I think this is a good example without using any names or specifics. Um, The CEO wants to bring someone in 
on a contract basis to really shadow him and partner with the executive team to help orchestrate more coordination and collaboration amongst team members to help coach him mm -hmm. on leadership styles, persuasiveness, you know, how to organize to win with his team. And so it's really another trained set of expert eyes um, who can look in the environment and give you outside perspective of what you're doing. And it's, it's confidential. So it's a safe space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can be very open. You can be very vulnerable. And what I always fell in love with with coaching is you have this benefit of these highly trained professionals who are having hundreds, if not thousands of similar conversations. And so sometimes we go into things in life that feel really daunting or intimidating right. because they're new. But for them, they're not new. Right. There's they, pattern recognition. There's for pattern them, recognition. Right. So mm -hmm. Doug, you may say like, wow, am I really like, maybe I'm, am I really fouling this up? Like this, uh, you know, in my example, I'll be like, wow, did I really butcher that conversation with an employee? Right. And I can talk to a coach and get some perspective. They're like, no, Alexi, everyone tells me they think they butcher that conversation, mm -hmm. that same conversation or similar conversation with employee. That's just a really tough conversation. Here's some areas where I think you could have improved based on what you're sharing with me, right? Um, and got we it. can practice yeah. those. Yep. And then that's the third thing. I think the biggest thing, and what we do a lot of it better up, and not all coaches do it. We really, uh, some do, and we really use a lot of it is we take a very coactive approach that's focused on role play and practicing. So before you have that conversation, Doug is my coach. We can talk in a safe space and act this out in a sense. Right. And then when I go in, I have the muscle memory and I'm able to visualize the situation. My, you know, my stress is lower, my cortisol is lower, and I'm, I'm more composed, I'm more centered, and I'm really able to focus on that person instead of focusing on myself and my internal world when I'm being CEO. And Alexi, typically it's a one-on-one -on -one situation? Yes. There, there, there is a, such a thing as group coaching, but mm -hmm. typically one-on-one, -on -one, better up, we actually, a part of the magic is we make it really scalable mm -hmm. to have one-on-one -on -one coaches. And, and you do have one coach, so you build a consistent relationship with that one person, mm -hmm. but it's semi-on-demand. You see their calendar, you just pick when you want to go, and you can, uh, they'll work around you. Good. So... Um, Stepping back from sure. 10,000 feet to 100,000 feet, right. what, what's the current state of play in the industry? I mean, is uh, executive coaching a unique thing where it's kind of very specific mm -hmm. pocket cases? Or is it, I mean, how do you see the industry from a from a from the perspective of the CEO of an early stage yeah. company right. that's looking on yeah. tackling this. Like contrasting it maybe with what BetterUp is doing sure. and what, what does it look like today yeah. just to get yeah. some perspective. Yeah, I think uh, executive coaching is um, being changed for the better. And the major trajectory of that, I think, is um, a couple of things. The first one is around democratizing access beyond just executives, right. which better up, we are really one of the pioneers in, right? So making it um, as as efficacious, if not more efficacious, data rich, scalable and affordable um, for companies to not just invest in this for executives, but for their emerging leaders, for their high potentials, for people at all levels of the organization. And that's an industry-wide theme. In fact, I saw some recent data that executive coaching is the second fastest growing profession in the world. Wow. So I actually think we're at this cusp or this advent where we're going to look back in 50 years and be like, wow, there was a time. Remember that time, Doug, where we used to send people into high-stress environments, which we knew scientifically, middle management is like the most stressful thing you can do for most adults. Right. And uh, their bosses all had coaches and support. Um, and world-class athletes all have coaches and support. And top military operators all have coaches and support. But if you were an entry-level manager and you raised your hand and said you need coaches and support, you were weak, right? Even though when Sheryl Sandberg raises her hand and says, I'm proud to have a coach, it's like, 
awesome. That's so strong of her to say that, right? And so I think yeah. we're going yeah, through this, so this, this societal transformation where we actually are realizing the cognitive agility and the resilience and the emotional intelligence knowledge works, uh, knowledge work, particularly at the middle management levels takes on people. And for the first time, starting to set them up for success in sustainable ways. Right. So, you, go ahead. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Alexi Robichaud, the CEO and co-founder of uh, the startup Better Up. And we're just talking about the contrast, setting the stage, if you will. Like what does executive coaching look like today, traditionally? And what is, how is Better Up kind of taking that the next, you know, the next step forward? Um, so right now, Alexi, you were saying, so right now coaching was pretty much limited to just executives only, one-on-one basis. And what Better Up is doing is, making it accessible to all layers. So right. how are currently, currently, if I'm an employee, what kind of training am I limited to? Or what am I receiving? Just, how, you know, presentation skills, like yeah. very specific functional yeah. skills versus whole development. Yeah, it's less about today, I would say, um, it's less about the subject matter mm -hmm. and more about the modality in terms of how the training is delivered. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can take a Linda class on leadership and difficult conversations um, and actually really good content, right? Um, and so what you'll find is today, what most folks middle and down in an organization have access to um, is usually training workshops, right? right? Um, increasingly, they'll have access to MOOCs or some sort of e-learning platform that has, you know, either 60-minute video, videos or in the new, the new wave is what's called micro-learning. So it's smaller videos and more bite-sized chunks, which mm -hmm. is really helpful. Um, but all of that, we really frame as that is all in the realm of what we call knowledge acquisition, right? And that, um, that is all predicated on the idea that by learning something, you actually become good at something, mm -hmm. right? And unfortunately, I can take all the classes I want at being a good leader, and that will never make me a better leader, right? Because I have to actuate that knowledge. I have to go out to in the wild it, right. and do it because mm -hmm. it's a behavioral skill, right? right? If, if it's something about biology, maybe if I just learn a ton about biology, I'll become a better biologist. I have no idea. I'm not a biologist. But I would suspect even there, there's the idea that you have to put the knowledge into practice. And so what we think about is, hey, Knowledge acquisition, we know, scientifically falls prey to what's playfully called the forgetting curve, which essentially is the half-life of your memory in the short term. And we know after about 90 days, you're going to remember less than 20% of what you were taught. So we spend about $150 billion a year in the U.S. on training. And the vast majority of that, in just in a corporate setting, is in the form of workshops, PowerPoints, off-sites, and e-content that's on demand or it's just accessible. Mm -hmm. But what we know is for people who are really in the thick of it, where business outcomes matter, right. where leadership matters the most, I don't know a CEO who goes to training workshops. Right. Yeah, I don't know true. a senior executive who sits through 400 page PowerPoints. Right. What they do is they work one on one with coaches who highly contextualize, highly personalize and give real time feedback using that same repertoire of knowledge, but applying it to their life and to what they're dealing with in the moment. That's the beauty of coaching. So as opposed to knowledge acquisition, mm -hmm. coaching is focused on behavioral change. How do I actually develop and master new behaviors, new skills? and new mindsets that allow me to sustainably live in that way. I want to change the dialogue here a little bit. Sure. Because what you're describing to me sounds like the typical business model for executive coaching firms. It's a consulting practice where you go in and, and, and you, you, know, you have to be engaged. Mm -hmm. I assume there's a fair amount of uh, seed planting and developing relationships with companies and so forth. We'll come to this in a while, but you guys have raised some serious venture capital. Right. So this is not a, 
this is not just a consulting business. This isn't where yep. all your assets go home right. at night. You've right. got other things cooking here. Yeah. So, so what is, what's the leverage? What's the, uh, you know, what's the technology, if you will, Absolutely. That, that differentiates you guys from every other uh, executive coaching boutique yeah. in the Bay Area? Great question. And and this is where, going back to the beginning, I get really excited because it brings in that other part of my my life, right, about technology and building cool things. So you're you're absolutely right. We are a technology company, right? Um, what is unique about BetterUp, and I actually – Without getting too philosophical, I think, I think this is where we've kind of lost our way in Silicon Valley, right? In terms of forgetting that the role of technology is not only to make life easier, it's to make life fundamentally better. And so what we often say at BetterUp is if we do our jobs right, we're not just making coaching more accessible and more affordable. We're making coaching on BetterUp better than it is without BetterUp. Right. And that's a bold claim and that's a bold vision. Mm -hmm. But if we're not doing that, then we really haven't achieved what technology mm -hmm. can do. Mm -hmm. So the way we do that is we do have a component of our expert coaches. And so we have a global international network of about a thousand coaches in 26 different countries. Mm -hmm. And we coach in every time zone across the world. Right. Um, but they are using and our users are using a SaaS platform. And so what we're able to do is a couple of things. One, we're able to make the coach hyper efficient by focusing them on the human interaction, removing all the housekeeping, note-taking, back-of-the-office stuff that typically coaches speak time on, spend right. time on. We're also able to do that thing you mentioned about context building and understanding where they work. We can do that through a set of assessments, different feedback tools. We can get, pull things from your mobile device with your permission, mm -hmm. and we can build your world, right? Your mobile really provides us a lens into your universe. And so we're able to do that in a hyper-scalable way and a really data-rich way. And this is one of the traditional pitfalls with coaching is I may have a really powerful session with you. You may have a really powerful session with Arena, mm -hmm. but those are in those are in walls in a company. You may be using this assessment. I'm using this assessment. And you go to companies and what you'll find is there's 30 different coaches working with 30 different assessments with 30 different executives. Mm -hmm. By being able to standardize that on our platform, we're able to allow all those coaches to benefit from other insights and understand the company's context and the culture so they can really laser focus on what issues will drive business performance. That's interesting what you mean, the, the idea of standardizing and leveraging technology. So it sounds like this is one way that BetterUp is approaching it differently. The the, uh, the ability to leverage technology to not standardize, but collect this um, right. universal knowledge yep. that can apply for all coaching scenarios, if you will, or situations. Yeah. And it allows us, that's right. And it allows us to develop really scientific knowledge about what works, what doesn't work, get past traditional wisdom or what's traditionally just been accepted as best practice. It also allows us to partner and with companies and really research what, what type of behavior change works for your people mm -hmm. and then measure that over a period of time. So our SaaS platform provides an app. The end user has a mobile app. They're able to video chat with their coach. And then there's some really basic things that frustrated me in my experience with coaching as much as I loved it. It's like, you know, your coach is billing all their hours out of respect for them. You can't just text them whenever you want. They can't like interrupt another session and be like, let me get back to you. But how we're able to schedule their time, coaches typically, I find them better up, get back to me within an hour or two. So if I have a burning question, I can have a pretty good cadence of conversation with my coach throughout mm -hmm. the week. So, Alexi, I wonder if you can walk us through an example using your platform. So when you're talking about a SaaS platform, this is a platform that's uh, it's off-site, right? It's, it's a, a bunch of computers that are yep. storing data. So yep. you've, got, you've got the backbone for your business model in place. Mm-hmm. Walk us through an example where 
I'm a mid-level. I'm a I'm a product manager at VMware. Okay. And I'm thinking, God, I could really use some help because yep. I don't know how to deal with this situation. Absolutely. So I contact your company, BetterUp, yep. and say, I need help. So yep. take it from there. Yeah. So today, the majority of our business is done through enterprise sales. So we typically partner with large organizations. VMware would be a great example okay. of someone yep. who could presumably become a customer. And um, let's say you reached out to us. We would then usually understand who your leader is or HR, and we would get the right decision maker. Right and names, yeah, right. get the right names on the phone. And we begin a conversation around like, what kind of programs are you doing for emerging leaders? What's your talent strategy? What are you trying to achieve with mm-hmm. this really critical band of your leadership, right? Usually, I individual contributor up to about director level is where we focus in organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would work together with some of our scientists to really devise a plan where, hey, if we leverage and focus Focus on these 500 leaders, let's say, mm-hmm. we think you're going to get a lot of ROI and leverage in terms of them being more effective, more inspiring leaders, and then being able to learn how to coach their own teams in a sustainable way. Got it. So now come back to me. So yeah. I go talk to my boss. Yep. My boss says, yeah, we just signed a great contract yep. with this new yep. company that has a novel approach to coaching. Sure. We want you to participate in this. Yep. Then what? Very easy. Um, you get, you get thumbed up, right? Like you get, hey, you're greenlit and uh, you get an invite in your inbox, right? You get an email from us saying, hey, welcome to BetterUp. You click on that. You create, you know, email, password, very simple user flow. You take a quick quiz to understand um, where you're really excelling, where you have opportunity to learn and grow, things you may be frustrated with. Mm -hmm. And then based on that data, we actually pair you with a match using uh, our uh, patented algorithm of 12 different factors of three coaches that we think will be a really good fit for you. So pause there. Yep. I want to ask... So now I've got three three names in front of me. Yep. Do you choose which name comes to me, which coach comes to me, or do I make a choice? So we choose which three, and okay. then you pick out of the three, or you can not like any of them and get rematched with three more. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we recommend three. And then from that, you have bios, you have customer testimonials, you have pictures. You're able to pick the coach you want to start with. And can you speak to that coach ahead of time, like spend a, you know, so a you few act- minutes? Or- yeah, you actually just... You actually just pick, and then you do a session, and mm-hmm. if you don't like it, you can just reshuffle. Got it. So, yep. What is the session? Is it a one-on-one personal meeting, yep. or is it a, a, a video chat, or is it a, I mean, Great how, question. How, how yeah. does that work? So it's a one-on-one video chat, so video and audio. Um, typically, um, you have two options. You can do 30-minute conversations mm-hmm. or 45-minute conversations. Mm-hmm. We find most people prefer 30-minute conversations. Um, and the average person does almost three a month due to yeah. travel and other things, but they'll try to conform to about a weekly cadence mm-hmm. is what you're usually targeting. And so what we'll think of this is, is, is in a way, it's almost just like micro learning took big blocks of content right. and made it more. And what they actually find is you retain knowledge better with small chunks. We're doing the same mm-hmm. coaching. We're making it micro coaching and we're making it more bite size and more in the moment to really help support you at that critical juncture. One thing that really differentiates BetterUp, as you were talking um, earlier about, was how this solution um, enables companies to measure sustainable behavior change Mm -hmm. and how you're leveraging technology to do that, which is really different than the model, current model. Um, So we'd love to talk about that a little bit more. We're talking about the break, you know, from a technology standpoint about analytics. 
um, you know, mobile as a channel, right. et cetera. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think the start of the analytics is there is a really exciting and compelling science that's been done in the past 20 years about behavior change, about mm-hmm. leadership and really methodological ways. And you know what? Actually, UPenn has been one of the biggest drivers of that. You have folks um, like... Adam Grant and Wharton, you have folks like Martin Seligman in Social Psych, Angela Duckworth, who have really taken these areas. He's that, done homework. Yes, this, he this has. Guy's a like, good guest. Um, plus, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, but these are these are fields that traditionally were thought of as soft, right? When Tom Peters wrote In Search of Excellence, he was laughed out of you know um, business and academia, right? And increasingly, what this research has illuminated is that the most important metrics, the hardest things in business, the things that matter most, the reason Amazon can pathologically innovate and Google can always outdo competitors is because these really soft things related to collaboration, inspiration, and leadership. And so using that research, what you're able to do for the first time is actually use statistically valid measures to understand how Doug is improving over time based on his involvement with something like BetterUp. And so if you're a CHRO, and for example, I I probably shouldn't say what company, but I was speaking to a CHRO this morning. CHRO. Oh, Chief Human Resource Officer. If you're the the head of people at a large organization, Mm -hmm. this is a perennial problem for you, is you are spending tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on investing in talent in these workshops we talked about. And typically the way you measure ROI in that investment is with things like NPS. Did people enjoy it? How long did they spend doing it? Mm -hmm. What you don't actually have the opportunity to measure is, is Doug a better leader six months later? after I spent $3,000 sending him to a workshop. And how do you measure that? If we're listening, we're like, well, that's, yeah. is he talking more clearly? Do I like being in yeah. the room with him? Am I going to listen to him or right. I'm just going to? Right. So it turns out that there's no subject in the world published on as much as leadership, mm-hmm. right? So we should understand that there is, uh, there is always a raging debate on what right. makes the exactly precise, perfect leader. And it probably doesn't matter to that level of perfection. What has emerged in the literature, literature is there are now commonly researched and found to be mindsets and skills and attributes that consistently show up with good leaders and with when they do these experiments with outcomes of motivating people and increasing effectiveness of teams and groups. Mm-hmm. So better up is built. Our building blocks, our periodic table, as I call it, mm-hmm. is 26 of these evidence-based mindsets, skills, and behaviors which we know if you get better at, you will be, by all objective matters, wow. measures, a better leader. So there's an objective standard. There's an objective standard. And so everything we do at BetterUp is we're measuring these elements and we're able to say, okay, you know, something like inspiration is a molecule that's composed of these four atomic units. And if we can measure these elements, and guess what? Someone at UPenn devised a statistically reliable and valid scale to measure this in the workplace. So Day one and better up, you get measured on that. Day 90, we're able to measure you again. Day 120, we're able to measure you. And we're doing this across all BetterUp members, and we sponsor nationwide studies of working professionals who aren't even better uppers to measure this. So I have a question. Okay. Me too. Actually. Sorry. I get really, <laughs> I, I, I can geek too. out so about easy. this. Yeah. So you say there's a there's a there's uh, an array of factors that are measurable part mm-hmm. of the right. qualities of leadership that right people aspire to as sure. an ideal. Yeah. Do you do you use the same 26 factors for every user of your product and we ever do. So we measure the same. So do you expect I mean my question goes to does one size fit all? No. In other words, do you apply the same criteria to a pro, a director of product management mm-hmm. as you do to a CEO as you do to a 
chief human resources officer. Very good point. Yeah. So when we think about, you know, um, what makes for success in these roles, there are these job specific things, right? That would modulate with what you mentioned. But what we typically focus, focus on are these, these universal, or you can think of them as the building blocks of good leadership, Mm -hmm. which actually allow you to quickly learn and master those job specific things. So we'll look at something like cognitive agility or resilience or growth mindset, right? Or authentic communication. And so while we measure everyone across all 26, we do emphasize, and even in our reporting to companies, they may care about, you know, um, this part of our periodic table, given their strategy and their Mm -hmm. culture and what they're focused on. Mm -hmm. So the system will measure them all, but the coach in conversation with their client in the context of what the company is focusing on will often understand that, okay, you know, right now at this point in time, Doug, if you want to be successful and you want to get that promotion, we really got to work on authentic communication. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe growth mindset's really important. There's a ton of research from Carol Dweck at Stanford that shows it is, but it's not really what you're struggling with right now, nor is it what your manager has expressed he wants to see you grow and continue to get better at what is it possible that somebody now that we have say this this set of data that you now have that um um populate what a leader should look look like in terms of the um attributes if you will Mm -hmm. is it possible that somebody that the company wants coached in this direction is just not hitting all those marks and what is the implication of that or does it mean to doug's point everybody's coachable and can get there Yeah, well, you know, this is where I don't think the science has been definitive. Mm -hmm. Um, So we believe that everyone is coachable. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there are some skeptics out there who think that's not true. I I personally, and uh, we have a lot more people with more letters behind their name than me at BetterUp, but uh, I've yet to see a study that says that someone's, you know, that you can't be a leader, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think like most things, you know, some people are going to pop out of the womb and be Mozart, Mm -hmm. right? And some people, we're going to struggle to understand what an octave is the rest of our life. But we all can learn basic music, right? We all can learn basic math. We may not be Einsteins. Mm -hmm. We may not be Mozarts. um, But that's the beauty of human nature is there's this elasticity to it. And most of this stuff, it looks like in a lot of the research coming out, is it's really about your orientation and your mindset and having that growth emphasis. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I think it's worth noting is um, I wanted the data in my own experience. One, One gap I found in coaching was I felt like I was getting better. But it was really hard, even at a data set of one, to empirically know I was. Right. And so we find that users are hungry to get reassessed by their peers and their superiors and see that they improved. Now, we never show that data in an individual way to an employer, mm-hmm. right? So we would never show your employer, Doug, your personal data because we understand you, you've formed a sacred bond with us. You've been very open, potentially very vulnerable. You've shared your deepest, darkest secrets. You shared your biggest and boldest dreams for your life. When we're able to aggregate that in an anonymized way, that data is still extremely insightful and powerful for an employer, enough so that they're like, I would love to sponsor Doug to go on this because I can see that in general people are improving, and I really trust that Doug is focused on where he needs to learn and grow, and I I believe my people want to learn and grow, and they'll guide their coaching conversations there. If I'm a coach, if I'm a company listening right now and you've got really impressive um, customers like, you know, Salesforce mm-hmm. and Logitech, like really big companies, and I'm a startup, especially in the scaling stage, it's yeah. essential to have leadership development, cultural development, sure. et cetera. What's the business model? How do they yeah. approach working with you? Yeah. So, the you know, as a, as a state, as a historical statement, the majority of our business comes from 
global 2000 fortune 1000 companies mm-hmm. right so they're they're big um, that being said you can go to betterup.co and we do have offerings for small and medium sized businesses so if you are a high growth startup if you're big if you're you know sometimes in the even 1000 person range you actually it's a better fit to go to some of these enterprise features that include the data and the reporting and just some more manageability for people who have full fledged hr teams mm-hmm. but for smaller businesses we have a lightweight offering lightweight on the back end it's the same powerful user experience um, and uh, it's really optimized for what may be a 50 to 100 to 500 person company who really wants to just give coaching to each and every employee. Yeah. So your pricing is, is I mean, is a, is a, it's by company. And a, it the different variables within pricing strategy is really the only criterion that's relevant, the number of employees that are signing up for the service. Yeah, I so, mean, you can't differentiate. If VMware call, calls us and says, we got this guy who's the product Who's the director of product manager? It's really he a left, loser. Fortunately, yeah, yeah fortunately, it, he left. We, we yeah. think he's on the way out. Yeah, <laughs> we hope. I, I think. I think the, it was. We hope he's on the way out. Yeah, and we just want to get. You know, there's a group of people in that department who right. really need help. From BetterUp's perspective. That's not the way you guys work. You, you sign up the entire company. No, no, just, just, just to clarify. So we'll contract in that scenario. We would contract with VMware. Um, but we, we do, even in large companies, we tend to do it less in bigger companies because yeah. they're bigger. Yeah. Um, we typically end up supporting whole orgs. Mm-hmm. But in theory, even a large company, you could just support one team. One department. Right. You could like say, that. hey, I okay. want these 50 people, these 100 people. Um, typically, our large enterprises are doing hundreds to thousands of people. Mm-hmm. But in SMBs, it may be like, yeah, I just want all my salespeople to have this. And that's 15 people of my 30 employees, right? And so um, it's a subscription pricing model mm-hmm. similar to like a Salesforce yeah. okay. um, where it's per seat. You know, a lot of things in the benefits suites will just charge for all employees and assume quite a few people won't use it. Right. We actually just want to only charge for people using BetterUp. We don't want to sell shelfware, so we just sell per user. So I don't, time is flying. I want to be right, sure yeah. we need to dive into the company. So okay. yeah. just a snapshot, how long, when was the company founded? How many employees where is it located? Um, you know, some, something sure. about customers and, and sectors represented yep. and so forth. Give us a sense of where the company is today. Absolutely. So company was founded in 2013, mm-hmm. late 2013. Um, I had started to really work in the idea after doing the Camino de Santiago in Spain and realizing I'm just going to go for it. Like mm-hmm. there may not be a business here, but I want to be able to do my passion I've been doing at night during the day. I pulled in my good buddy, Eddie, who um, was volunteering with the nonprofit. He was then uh, finishing his MBA at Haas. Mm-hmm. And so he started to tinker and build it with me and actually got enough conviction in December 2013 to drop out of Haas and start full time. So we officially incorporated December 2013 and kicked off in earnest there uh, as a uh, huge two-person multinational. (laughs) Um, We were based in my apartment in San Francisco. We're still headquartered in San Francisco uh, on 8th and Folsom. We're 100 employees today. Um, half of us are in San Francisco and we're a little unique. So we, we are all, we are committed to having 50% of our workforce remote. And that really started with our CTO who had been with me at VMware. Ryan is actually based in Minneapolis. And mm-hmm. so we, we don't have any engineers in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, beyond just engineering, we keep half of our workforce spread across the heartland of America. But you mentioned international. Are you, are you, are you truly an international focus? I mean, you have users and coaches based outside the United States? Yeah, so we actually have users in every inhabited time zone. Um, we sell today really only in the U.S., but to, because we're selling to multinationals, mm-hmm. we often support their international mm-hmm. workforces. Um, so we have coaches. We have. I was in London in January, and we, we had 
we have 60, we had like dinner with 60 of our coaches in London. It was wonderful. Most of these people I'd never met. It was awesome. And just a quick comment. I mean, what are the, can you comment? Is there a general profile of a company that typically engages you? Maybe the sectors, the different industries yeah. that you guys have, have gotten a foothold in? Yeah. So um, historically, our focus, and, and this was really just in the spirit of, I think one thing you have to do as a founder early on is you have to just demarcate boundaries, right? Or you'll go mm-hmm. crazy trying to do a million things. So, um, you know, we always believe better up could be for everyone. And I think time is proving that that, that hypothesis is 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 correct. But early on, we focused on professional services, financial services, and high tech. Mm-hmm. And that was really based on some sophistication, sophisticated um, analysis of Eddie and I's prior work experience mm-hmm. and saying, yes, that company could have used better up. And so we landed on those three, uh, those three verticals. But I think what they did have in common, which really became a, a seed for where we are today, is they're industries that embrace knowledge work and understanding that the value they deliver is a function of their people. Mm-hmm. And the more optimized and the more more in tune and the more um, centered their people are, the better the quality of service they'll offer is. What's been exciting with BetterUp is actually you may think our number one customer segment would be tech being in San Francisco. It's not. It's actually East Coast financial services companies. Um, And our fastest growing segment right now is retail and restaurants, um, which is so, so hugely rewarding for me having started my career overseeing food and beverage uh, revenues for Walt Disney Parks and Resorts. Um, Because when you think about people who really are aspiring leaders and get very little investment, Mm -hmm. it's often that store manager. It's the first salary position. Mm -hmm. And they're usually, you know, they have a rotating manager who drives through once a month and spends a little time with them and that's it. If you're just joining us, this is Doug Collum. I'm here with Irina Yen. Our guest this hour is Alexi Robichaud, who's the CEO and co-founder of Better Up. I mean, just to clarify, enunciate that, it's, it's Better Up. That's it's, right. It's, yeah. it, it sounds like a different word maybe, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. Let's talk about financing. Sure. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about fundraising on the program, mm-hmm. and um, – you know, I think every founder, every CEO who's gone through that process has a different story, a different experience. Uh, usually, it's it's a it's a parable of hardship and challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can talk about how it went for you. Um, yeah, I mean, it went terribly for most of the time. Uh, we <laughs> we uh, you know, like I said, we've been around five years, right? Um, I would say it's really in the past two and a half years that we've had wind behind our sails, so to speak. The mm-hmm. first two years of Better Up. Um, I often say our history is maybe more similar to a biotech company in some ways is we we were so obsessed with not just making something that felt good, like right. self-help, but actually was good for you. And so we really hunkered down and spent about two years in product development. Self, self-funding? Yes. Um, yes. Um, we That's really right. should give a shout out to Chase and Capital One and mm-hmm. every other 18-month 0% interest credit card out there. Right. <laughs> um, I think at some point when Eddie and I paid off our credit cards, we were 75K in credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I spent the first year, I thought I'd be able to fundraise. So I spent a whole year, 2014, while we were building and tinkering and testing, um, trying to raise seed money or angel money. Um, and I think we raised 35K in friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, I, th- I I counted once. I think we pitched 72 investors. Um, During the seed wow. stage process. Yeah, and, yeah. and raised zero dollars. Yeah. Um, and so essentially we were then like, okay, I think we may need to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to pause because, yeah. I mean, so... For many years, I lawyered and worked with a lot of founders doing startup companies. And you hear these incredible stories about the lengths that founders will go to to keep the the heartbeat going. 
in, including limiting credit cards. Right. And, right. And Eddie putting, started doing Postmates. And putting seconds yeah. on your automobile and seconds yep. on your car. And yep. uh, it's like it's incredible the lengths that people right. go to. But putting out, you know, credit cards just – $75,000 is like, that's an extraordinary thing. It's stressful, thing. yeah. Right. That is completely whacked, Alexa. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not sane, that's for sure. Yeah. So at some point, you got traction. And- yeah. So at some point, it, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a testament to going with your gut. So we, we had spent this year tinkering and building. We had convinced ourselves that the better up you see today was a terrible idea. We should never build that even though that was the original idea. When we started to build our Excel models, we're like, oh man, this is going to be hard to scale. It's not going to be mm-hmm. 90% gross margin. Yeah. Um, and so we we really thought of this like broad-based consumer platform that would upsell people into a coaching experience. And we tried to do that. The only problem was um, it was a terrible product that no one wanted to use. Mm-hmm. And so um, we essentially ran out of we ran out of money. We, had, we couldn't afford to keep our engineer on. And uh, I was like, you know what? What about our original idea of putting a coach on a phone? Like, that's what we were so excited about. We kind of talked ourselves out of it for the past year. Um, We could do it very cheaply. I know some folks who are therapists who would do free coaching for us for a couple of weeks. And so we used a combination of Google Hangouts, Asana, and text message. And uh, our buddy Ryan, who's now the CTO, built us like a marketing website where people could sign up and pay. We used the few hundred bucks we had left in our credit card to run Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. um, And we sold for like... $15 a week. We knew we weren't going to make money on it just to see what anyone paid to do this coaching experience. And the reality is people loved it. And so we were able to, with that data, then go convince a few angels. We raised $150,000, which I remember at the time. I mean, it is a lot of money by any standard, but I remember at the time I thought like that was the craziest thing in the world. And that took us about four months. Um, And then it just starts to compound. I remember doing a call with maybe our fourth angel Mm -hmm. and talking to her. And she's amazing, amazing investor, amazing woman, amazing, everything human being. And she was like, well, how much money do you need? And I was like, <laughs> Dude, that's a trick question. I was like, wait, did you, wait, what was that question? Yeah, I was like, wait, so, wait, sorry. I was like, Oh, we're trying to raise like 150,000. She said, okay, so you need $150,000. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, and so I just remember getting off that call and was like, Oh, wow. In 30 minutes, this woman was headed to the airport talking to me. We were able to double everything that we had raised in over 18 months. That's amazing. So a question for you, Alexi, which is this. Um, So there's a point. At first, you go out. It's self-funded. You've got credit cards that are limited. Then you go out to people who love you, friends and family, and say, I need money. And then your next step was approaching the angel community. At some point in that process, you started to achieve traction. Investors right. started, mm-hmm. professional investors started sitting up and paying attention. Right. How important was it to them the fact that this is your first venture back company that you were embarking on? Was experience a factor in, in your fundraising process? I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, having been through a successful acquisition, they knew I generally, you know, I knew how to build a product. Um, It didn't help to the degree that some founders are able to do who are serial entrepreneurs where they can just go in with a PowerPoint deck and leave with a $2 million seed round and no product, right? Right. So definitely I've had friends who've done that. Well, it didn't help me do that. But I don't think it worked against me in any way. I think if Mm -hmm. anything, it helped. I think the mistake was in retrospect is, I spent way too much time fundraising instead of doing what I should have been doing, which is building a business, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we actually started to sell something and work with users, then the money followed, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's that's the lesson there is um, fundraising should follow the virtue 
of your company, um, you really don't want to do it in advance of building something worthwhile, right? You want to build something worthwhile, and uh, then it's it's actually easy to fundraise, right? If you don't have anything, it's really really hard to fundraise. So I've heard that. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I can speak from experience. It's it's near. It's impossible. It was impossible for me. So, um, so your role as CEO, um, so far so good. I mean, what kind of epiphanies, I guess, have you, um, learned about the attributes necessary to be a CEO, I guess, in this theme of leadership, um, and just in general, your journey? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, you'd have to ask the team, but they haven't, uh, there's no pitchforks. I haven't seen any pitchforks yeah. yet. So <laughs> hit the 26 um, exactly, boxes so far. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think the role of CEO is actually changing. I mean, we look a lot at the literature and, mm-hmm. you know, I think it historically was this like kind of bravado and this like, you know, masculinity and you know everything, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think increasingly, at least my approach is, if anything, I think it just takes a lot of humility and a lot of vulnerability and being able to, in many cases, just share with the team, we don't know this or we mm-hmm. haven't figured this out and we think we can figure it out together or here's what we do know and here's what we learned along the way. So I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's a huge challenge. It's, um, you know, I feel like every 90 days I'm interviewing for my same role again, oh, right? Yeah. The job changes in a fundamental way, um, but it's it's something that keeps me on my toes, and I feel like I'm really learning and growing as a human through that. What's that some of the most interesting things you've learned um, since starting Better Up? I guess in terms of what you've learned and seen, what you know, what what leadership means from uh, what you're seeing through the data, mm-hmm. and then just in your your journey specifically. Yeah, one one thing that we learned through the data, um, which I think I've been trying to apply, and I, and I think I've really learned that it works well with human beings is, you know, we 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 all know this academically. We really don't like change as mm-hmm. people. We just don't, right? Like we like consistency. We like whatever we're doing, and in many ways that works for us, right? Or we'd go crazy if everything everything in our life was changing. Right. But in business today, and in most organizations today, everything is kind of changing. And so one thing we learned in the science is. The real linchpin of successful behavior change is painting a crystalline, pure, and motivating vision of what success looks like, mm-hmm. right? And that's where a lot of behavior change or interventions fall short. They talk about, you know, the problem and getting rid of the problem right, instead right. of giving you a vivid, visceral picture even of what it looks like to be fit or what it looks like to not smoke or what it looks like mm-hmm. to be healthy. And so I really try to incorporate that as being CEO. And, you know, instead of always talking about numbers or talking about this, am I telling stories about what success looks like? Right. So we try one thing we do is instead of just talking about revenue, which it's so easy to do, right. do we talk about members and how many members lives members are what we call our users. We're going to be impacting at this company or that company. And members is something that emotionally you can get excited about. Right. right. I think there's a few people who I worked with in finance who emotionally get excited about revenue. But for the most of us, we're here to change people's lives. And it's that story about Doug being transformed that gets that extra motivation or that extra idea out of the team as opposed to, hey, we grew revenue 10% again year over year. Or in our case, you know, we've been fortunate 300% again year over year. Um, that's exciting, but it doesn't get the same level of loyalty and emotional commitment. That's amazing. Well, we are out of time. That went by really fast, Alexi. We've been speaking this hour with Alexi Robichaud, the CEO and co-founder of BetterUp. Alexi, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. This is a real pleasure. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.